Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. beginning a new sermon series uh, this week, uh, which I'm excited about, uh, as we engage, learn to engage our neighbors. Uh, on your seat or, or a seat close to you, you might notice a piece of paper that at the top of it says, who is my neighbor? Uh, we're going to be asking more about this question as we intentionally uh, look to intentionally engage our neighborhoods um, throughout the, the course of this sermon series as a church that we are moving in the same direction, intentionally reaching out to, in, intentionally and strategically reaching out to our neighborhood uh, for the procla- pro- proclamation of the gospel um, and, and the deepening of relationships. Uh, what does it mean to be a neighbor? When we, uh, when we moved to Kingwood about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, something like that, we... Uh, we, no, 11, 11 years ago. She, my, my wife always tells me that my uh, time frames are really spotty, um, which is true. Uh, so 11 years ago, uh, we moved to Kingwood from Livingston and uh, we lived in a garage apartment in Livingston. And, and so uh, we, hadn't, we hadn't like been used to like uh, maintaining our house or even our lawn. And so we moved here in, uh, in April of, of 2012. And that's right. That is right. Okay. May? May. May of 2012. And, uh, and so after a week or so of being in the house, um, I started to see the, the yard, uh, the lawn, like growing a little bit. And I was like, well, I guess maybe I should do something about that. And I realized that I didn't have a mower uh, because we didn't have a yard in Livingston. And so um, I looked through the garage and uh, our, na- our, old land, our old owner had left us with a yard cutter. I say yard cutter because it's definitely not a mower. Um, it's one of those uh, manual ones that turn like this, right? That has the blades. It's like, and then as soon as you hit a stick, the whole world ends, right? Um, because it just completely stops. And then you have to go and pick up all the sticks in your yard and keep going. Well, the grass had gotten so long that um, this was really not effective. And so I'm out there sweating and really struggling. And all of a sudden behind me, I hear Clint, Clint Wiley. Right, and we had just moved here like a, like a week before, right? And I turn around and my neighbor is like, honey, she's yelling inside, honey, our neighbor is the new youth pastor. Uh, she, and she's like, I saw your name in the, this, the newsletter of the church and your, your picture, and I can't believe that you live here. And she looks at, like, at my, my mower and she like looks at me and then she looks at my mower and looks at me and she yells back inside, and honey, I think he's green. <laughs> and so, so as a result of that comment, 
And now the, the next week I'm going in to buy a lawnmower and I can't get the gas guzzler that's uh, polluting the earth, right? Because I'm this green neighbor. And so I get uh, a, a pretty much a lawn vacuum. Uh, that's one of these electric ones that you plug in and I'm like str- still struggling to do my yard because it really doesn't have any power. Uh, and then a few years later, we buy a Prius. This becomes my identity as this green individual. You see, our, our neighbors have a great impact on our lives. Um, I've known people who have moved out of certain neighborhoods into to bigger houses with a pool in a, a bigger, fancier neighborhood, and they have mourned and lamented because they don't have the same community that they had in their first house where they were raising kids and they, they got to connect so deeply in community with these people and their new house they just haven't connected the same way. See, our, our neighbors make a big impact on our lives. Typically, we don't have the opportunity to pick who our neighbors are, but through this series, I hope that you might see that maybe, just maybe, God has placed you in the place that you live, in the, in the, the places that you um, operate, that you function for a reason. That maybe the very place that you live is your mission field. And so as we dive into scripture today, we're going to see uh, how Jesus responds to the, the expert in the law as he asks the question, who is my neighbor? If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25 through 37. It begins this way. On one occasion, the expert of the law stood up and to test Jesus. Expert of the law uh, could mean a scribe or a Pharisee, but someone who has studied the law, who knows exactly what the law says forward and backwards, they've devoted their lives to studying the law of God. And so this is most likely in the temple because uh, the expert of the law stood up. They were seated. So some formal setting, we don't really know, but stood up to test Jesus. And so it's in front of a lot of other people who are there to engage with the law. And so he stands up. He says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Same question that's posed by the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. And Jesus answers as he typically does, He answers a question with a question, not to to shut down the conversation, but to further engage and uh, and engage in this this conversation so that a greater truth might be revealed in the conversation. What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He puts it back on the expert of the law. The expert of the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, right? This is from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Uh, every, every good Jewish boy would know this because um, it is like the primary thing that is said in a Jewish household, the Shema. Write it on your, they say write it on your forehead, on your wrist, put it on your door frames. Teach this to your kids. This is so important. Everybody would have known that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the, the, this this. Uh, expert of the law is like, all right, now, now I'm getting deep into the law because it doesn't say this right after the Shema. This is later in Leviticus. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. See, in, in Leviticus 19, 
18, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Right? He knew that there was not just, not just to love God, but there was a social aspect to, uh, to our salvation. There was a social aspect to how we lived that out in community. And so he said that. And Jesus replied, you answered correctly. Great job. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, when you start asking Jesus too many questions, he's going to start digging into your heart. This man was trying to, to kind of get off the hook, to show how much he knew and how well he was accomplishing this part of the law, how much he was accomplishing this objective to get into heaven. And what Jesus did was he put him back on the hook when he asked this question. Friends, if you want to grow in holiness, start asking questions of Jesus because he's gonna start digging into the motives and the truths of your heart. So what he replies is profound. Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to, Jer to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Many of you have heard this story of the Good Samaritan. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. A Levite was like a servant in the, in the temple, um, was kind of the, the priestly line from the, um, from the Samaritan understanding, the, the, um, the Levitical line of Aaron um, was the, the, the priest. That's a distingu distinguishing factor between the priest and the Levite. When he came to the place, he saw him, he passed by on the other side, but the Samaritan, who the Jews hated, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went on, uh, he went to him and bandages, bandages his wounds, poured oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. And Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? At this moment, the expert of the law realized he had been got. I think uh, I, I picture um, my youngest, Kaya, who um, sometimes sits at the dinner table practicing her eye rolls. Um, and I think of the expert of the law um, sitting there in that moment and he rolls his eyes and he says, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the name of the Samaritan. He couldn't even give Jesus the, the, the props to say the Samaritan was the one. The one in which I hate is the one that was actually the neighbor. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I look into this passage, I believe that the notion of, uh, 
of loving your neighbor is not a radical one for this expert of the law to hear. That wasn't something that he was shocked by. What he was shocked by is the new definition of neighbor that Jesus gave to, to him in this story. You see, if you looked all throughout the Old Testament, every time the, word, the Hebrew equivalent of neighbor is, uh, is mentioned, it is in relationship to our Israelite brothers, those who are in the club, those who are God's chosen people. Um, even back to that Leviticus text, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, right? This is, uh, this is a, something easy for them to do because these are our people. And so we are to love our neighbor as ourselves because they are like us. They are one of us. We are uh, kin. We are brothers. And so Jesus is totally flipping this on the head when he inserts the Samaritan into this story. In fact, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, 543, he says, uh, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, flips it on its head, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I show no partiality to, to, uh, to individuals. I love I love my people. I love the people that I've created equally. You ought to as well love your neighbor with an expanded definition as yourself. Friends, this concept is vital to how we live out our faith, how we live out the great command um, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. The action of that command to the rest of the world is to love our neighbor, all people, with that same kind of love. Now the danger in uh, this idea of our neighbor being all people is that it becomes so generalized that, uh, that we don't ever personalize it, right? That I'm just gonna love everybody and that just means that I'm gonna smile at everybody as I walk through the grocery store and that's how I love everybody but I, I never go out of my way to intentionally love my neighbor. I never go out of my way to intentionally love an individual to pour into an individual because I'm just too busy loving all of the world, right? And so, uh, so we, we get in this danger by, by making it so big and so general that we forget to personalize it to the, the people that we are surrounded most closely with. I believe this passage lays out three philosophies of neighboring that, I, that we see uh, replicated in our world today. We see the robbers in our text. It is a, a you have, what, what you have is mine and I'm gonna take it. Right, this idea that, that you owe something to me, that, that I deserve something from you, that I'm entitled to something that, that I don't have, but that you have, and, and so you ought to give that to me. This is not the, the kind of neighboring, this is not the neighbor that Jesus lifts up in this story. The second is that of the, the Levite and the priest. <clears throat> what I have is mine, and I'm going to keep it, right? The time that I have is mine, and I'm gonna keep it. The, the money that I have that is mine, I'm gonna keep it. The resources, the, the oil that I have in my bag, the, uh, the, the, the bandages that I have in my bag, those are mine, and I'm gonna keep them. I have a duty to do. I'm a priest, and I'm going to the temple. I can't be defiled or inconvenienced by you. 
I think this is oftentimes where our world falls into. What I have is mine and I'm gonna keep it. And it prevents us from really being the neighbor that Christ calls us to. The third is the Samaritan. And it's clear that what I have is God's and I will give it. And I think this is the the place that God is calling us as a, a congregation, that God is calling us as the body of Christ to live into. This is clearly the the definition of neighbor that God lifts up, that Jesus lifts up and puts on a pedestal that says this is what being a neighbor looks like. What I have is God's and I will give it. For Jesus in the, the first century church, just to be a neighbor was not enough. In fact, to be a neighbor was not a noun, but it was a verb. It was coupled with the, the idea of love. That love ought to define how we understand neighbor. We have turned neighbor into a noun, right? I'm, that's my neighbor. Um, neighbor is, is, is a place in which you live in proximity to another. Uh, but in this sermon series, I hope that, that we can begin to shift that concept into a verb. What does it look like to be actively and intentionally neighboring? meaning that I'm intentionally and strategically being the love of Christ, going out of my way to serve someone, even at the inconvenience of myself, to serve specifically my neighbors. Maybe, just maybe, this sermon series is to radically change our hearts towards the way that we look at the place in which we live. John Wesley, in one of his um, journal entries, he wrote the, the famous words, I look upon all of the world as my parish, which just means that, that every place in which he goes, he looks at as his ministry, as his opportunity for ministry, whether he's uh, preaching in the coal mines or whether he's in a field preaching or uh, he's in uh, a small group interacting with individuals or traveling on the back of a horseback and he comes across uh, a situation. Every place in which he is, is his ministry. He looks at the world as his parish. There's some things that John, John Wesley says that I don't really understand. There's some jumbled stuff in the middle of this um, that I, I don't really understand what he means. He says, thus, thus far I mean that in whatever part, I, part of it I am, I judge it meet right and my bounden duty to declare unto all that are willing to hear the glad tidings of salvation. This is the work in which I know God has called me to and sure I am that his blessing attends it. This is the work to be a neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself is the calling that God has given to each of us. So church, where's your mission field? Uh, If you look at, uh, there's a little piece of paper on your chair or on a chair next to you that at the top of it says, who is my neighbor? I want you to take a minute just to actually ask that question. Who is my neighbor? You may be able to identify one or two of your neighbors. And um, depending on how long you've lived in a space, you might be able to, to name a few more. But what do you know about your neighbors? What do you know about the people in which you live in proximity with? 
You see, we live in a neighborhood where we have high privacy fences. Uh, we don't necessarily know what's going on in, the, in people's backyards. We, we uh, are quick in and out of our, of our homes because we're busy and we're getting to our events or taking kids to sports or um, eating dinner within our house. Uh, I know that there are several neighbors uh, in our new place, the new area that we live, that I've never even seen. I actually saw a neighbor uh, that right next door to us um, that stays inside quite a bit. She was getting her, her um, trash can and it was like, like I've spotted the white whale, right? Like, um, like I've, I've never seen my neighbor, right? And, uh, and so we live these lives that oftentimes are, uh, are isolated. So who is your neighbor? Uh, during this, this series, um, we're gonna, there's gonna be some practical um, uh, attempts or opportunities to just connect with our neighbors. To... Uh, to maybe even have some awkward moments where you have to, where you knock on a door and introduce yourself to somebody you've been living next to for the last five years. And you knew their name at one point, but you kind of forgot. And, and so now uh, you have to reintroduce yourself. I hope that there's some awkward moments like that, but I hope there's some beautiful moments where you get to, to share uh, tea with somebody or, or pray over, over, um, over your neighborhood with your family at the dinner table. And so I encourage you, there's a prayer on the back of that that you can pray together as a family. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's opportunities uh, to meet your neighbors that we'll do during this, this month. Uh, later in September, we're gonna have a food drive for Society of St. Stephen's where you can take um, a, a handful of bags, like brown bags home with a flyer on them that uh, they, your neighbors can fill with canned goods and things and you can bring them back and it's an opportunity to interact with a neighbor that you haven't uh, talked to or, or been in, in community with. Um, I, hope, I hope that at the end of this process that, um, and, and I hope that there isn't an end to this process because it be, begins a, um, a natural uh, interaction with our, our neighbors that goes to deeper and deeper and deeper levels um, that ultimately and in proclaiming the gospel to, to those around us. The trap that we can fall into, and I'm gonna close with this. The trap that we can fall into during this sermon series is that, it, that this is like a pumpkin spice latte that's seasonal, right? That in the middle of this season that we, uh, we just do this for a little bit and then um, that, was, that was cool. That was a fun thing for a whole church to be moving in a direction together in this. Um, but this is, this is kind of a, a way of thinking about ministry in the place in which we are planted. Number two, the trap that we can fall into is to think that this is a church growth strategy. That, this is, that the goal of this is just to invite a bunch of, a bunch of our neighbors into our church um, so that our church can grow. The, the goal of this, uh, the purpose of neighboring is to uh, fulfill the Acts 1-7 uh, call that God put on our lives to, to be a, a witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is our home. Jerusalem is our backyard. Jerusalem is the place in which we live. The second thing, or the third thing is that we overemphasize the second half of the command and fail to acknowledge the, the fuel behind it, which is the love of God. The first command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Being a true neighbor, loving our neighbor as ourselves only comes out of actually loving God. And so during this process, these prayers and this, this time we spend together um, is to deepen our relationship with Christ. 
And then finally, uh, this is not about uh, collecting knowledge and information on your neighbors, right? We can do that through Facebook. Um, even, even before uh, Facebook was around, uh, Martin Luther King spoke some really profound words about the direction that we are moving technologically. He says, through our scientific and technological genius, we have made this world a neighborhood. And now, through our moral and ethical commitment, we must make it a brotherhood. We must all learn to live together as brothers or we will perish together as fools. These are powerful words. In and through the, the course of this sermon series, my hope for my own life is that I will move, that my heart will move from what I have is mine and I'll keep it to what I have is God's and I will give it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, meet us in this series. Meet us in the midst of this journey. Uh, God, what a, what a beautiful vision it would be if, if we all as a, a body of Christ uh, left this place and into our our prospective neighborhoods and began to actively pursue our neighbors, began to actively go out of our way to meet and introduce and to, to develop relationships. God, what are, the, what are the beautiful places you could take this as we proclaim the gospel to the world? God, I pray that you lead, help us to lean in. I pray that you guide us through this journey. God, I, and I pray for divine inspiration and divine opportunities to be transformed by, by your truth and by this action. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church, would you stand up and continue in worship with us?